morning, church. I'd like to thank our music ministry team for preparing our hearts this morning. Wonderful opportunity to hear truth about our Lord sung uh, from this stage. It's Palm Sunday, and uh, I have a few highlights from the week that I'd like to share with you. This is my first spring with you, and so there are some things that went on this last week that were firsts for me. One of them was on Monday night, we opened up our men's softball season. You know, there's a softball team here, and that was interesting. My goal was to not pull any muscles, and uh, here I am, I didn't pull any muscles. And so that was a good time of fellowship uh, with some of the men from the church. Also, uh, Wednesday night, again, continues to encourage my heart. I was here again. Uh, the, what is going on in this building Wednesday night is just amazing. To our children, uh, from our volunteers who are here serving, uh, to the time that we're having in prayer, to our women's Bible study uh, that's taking place. Just fabulous, fabulous opportunity here on Wednesday night for fellowship uh, for all uh, to be had. And then, of course, this weekend, uh, Friday and Saturday night, had opportunity to get away with our elders uh, for an elder retreat. And uh, within the coming week here, you'll be receiving an email, and in your weekly next week, there'll be a kind of a wrap-up about the weekend, what we talked about, decisions that were made, uh, future kind of mission and vision things that we're looking at. And so we're looking forward to communicating with each and every one of you what the Lord did through our time together uh, this weekend. And you'll be seeing that through email this week uh, and in your weekly next week for those of you that, that perhaps might not have email. And so those were some highlights uh, for me. It was super, super incredible Friday night to be in a room of men from this congregation that truly, truly love this church and care deeply about it. Our former elders, uh, many, many of them were able to come. Our current elders uh, were there and to just hear the voices around the table. Lots and lots of years of wisdom. And uh, so it was a very encouraging time to be together. We are at the very beginning of what we know uh, what we call Holy Week, and this indeed is our Palm Sunday. And we're celebrating the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem at the beginning of the Passion Week. And this event that we're going to look at this morning, this triumphal entry, it's a major historical marker in the life of Jesus. And I'm sure as you sit here today, you can reflect on the reality that there are some major events that take place in our lives, major transitions that the Lord brings. And with each of those major events and each of those major transitions in our lives, often our true character is revealed. And here is Jesus at the beginning of the Passion Week and He's preparing to face the greatest adversity in His life. Greater than even His temptation in the desert, greater than all of the continued questioning from the Pharisees, and greater than the multiple attempts that were made at his life. In one week, Jesus would enter his city. He would be praised by his people, mocked by his people, betrayed by his people, lied about by his people, deserted by his people, arrested by his people, tried by his people, abused by his people, beaten by his people, and then hung on a cross by his own people. And through all of this adversity that Jesus would face, 
he would remain obedient to his Father, our Father. And our passage today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. You're welcome to turn there. We're going to look at verses 1 through 17. Our passage today uncovers three virtues about our King as he prepares to enter into the greatest test of his life. This is Matthew chapter 21. We're going to read the entire 17 verses. Matthew 21, verses 1 to 17. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word this morning, we know that you intend to use it for your glory and for our good. And so we open it, Lord, together as a congregation with anticipation of how you'll work. Teach us more about your son, Jesus. Motivate us, Lord, to live in a way that honors him. Change our hearts. Change our minds. Renew our spirits. Lift us up. Unify us. And restore us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 17. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple. And drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the blind and lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant, and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read, Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. The first virtue of our king that's uncovered in our text this morning is that our king is in control. At the beginning of Passion Week, it may be easy for us to sit and assume that maybe this was a moment in Jesus' ministry where perhaps he had lost a bit of control. All of these things that other people were going to do to him that in our minds seemingly he had no control over. In fact, we find at the beginning of our text that he was perfectly in control 
throughout this entire week is as they approached Jerusalem, Jesus was aware, fully aware of what was going to happen to him. In fact, if you just flip back one chapter to Matthew chapter 20, Jesus had prepared and warned his disciples in the chapter just before about what was going to happen. Verse 17 of chapter 20, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and on the way he said, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised on the third day. And now we might ask as we sit here today, well, how do we see that Jesus is still fully in control in this passage? What are the clues that show us that he is still reigning, still in control of this situation? At the beginning of our passage today, friends, we find Jesus able to secure a donkey and a colt from a complete and utter stranger. You see how he does this? He, he instructs his disciples to go into the city and to get these animals from a man who's a stranger. And, and, and this isn't some Jedi mind trick. You will give me your colt. And they just hand it over to him. That's, that's not what was happening here. Jesus was in control, fully in control. And the reality that he was able to secure these animals It's a testimony to what we knew to be true and from what many of his followers knew to be true about the coming Messiah from the book of Zechariah, chapter 9. Now look at this image. This is a beautiful image, isn't it? Somebody from our own congregation took this picture. Anybody guess who it was? Pastor Tom. Pastor Tom just returned from Israel. He took this picture, and this is the site where it is believed Jesus would have stood when he was looking out over the city to enter into Jerusalem for the triumphal entry. What a beautiful image of where Jesus may have stood and where you see that golden dome. That's smack dab right in Jerusalem today. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know, the disciples, they're they're not questioning Jesus here. How rare for them, right? They like to question Jesus why Jesus would ask them to do things, but they're not doing that here. They simply obey. obey. And the stranger, the man that they find in the city, he just gives the animals to them. Jesus is in control. And and there's an interesting uh, juxtaposition here because while Jesus is in control, control is not a luxury inside the city of Jerusalem for the Israelites. Now, I just want to draw a picture of the context that the Israelites were living in within the city. Herod had transformed the temple into a Roman icon. He had established that the Jewish temple priests were to make their sacrifices on behalf of the Roman emperor. 
cities and towns that had been named after Jewish religious leaders and held heritage in the hearts of the people of Israel. They were renamed now after Roman gods and Roman kings. The people were being charged a double tax inside the city with no or little representation. They were being taxed by the Roman Empire for building projects taking place in their ancient cities, but they were also being taxed by the Jewish religious leaders for the temple services that they were providing to pagan gods. Many of the Israelites were living in poverty, and the threat of losing land and personal property was real. There was little control for the people inside of the city. The Roman leaders, believing that Caesar was the representation of God on earth, required that the Jews not solely worship God as their king, but also demanded that they look at Caesar as their king. Underrepresented in the Roman government, and among, even among their own religious leaders, hungry, impoverished, in debt, the people of Israel were waiting for a king. They were waiting. Messianic expectation was high. Would the promised king come? The king who would shake his fist at the face of Caesar. The king who would bring peace, security, victory, and a promise to a broken and desperate people. And the king who might slay the mighty Roman Empire. They were waiting. But the reality, friends, was this. The reality was that Jesus was not coming to slay, but he was coming to be slain and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he was doing it completely in control. In the minds of the people, this was happening just as they thought it should. The king was riding into his town. The procession was set. The, the coronation was ready. The king was going to be crowned. The imagery in their minds was the imagery of King Jehu from 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13, where it says, Then in haste every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and they proclaimed, Jehu is king. However, this would not be the kind of victory that they wanted. And aren't we often, friends, a funny and fickle people? We think that we know what we want, but Jesus always truly knows what we need. Jesus coming on a donkey should have been a sign and a symbol to them. He was coming in humility. He was not riding on a great white war stallion. Not yet. He was coming on a donkey, a foal of a beast of burden. He was coming as a king carrying a heavy yoke. The weight of the sins of the world that he would carry to the cross were upon him. He was coming in peace, he was coming in humility. And he was going to bring them the greatest victory in the history of all humanity. And in their eyes, it wasn't enough. And Jesus was going to save them from their sins and conquer death forever. 
A great and eternal victory would be secured by the end of the week. But the people wanted a temporary win. That's what they wanted, a temporary win. And friends, aren't we thankful that Jesus doesn't give us the things in life that we want, but He always provides for us the things in our lives that we truly need. What the people needed in that moment wasn't a temporary win over a temporary king who was temporarily on the throne and ruling temporarily over that city. What they needed was an eternal victory. And that's exactly what Jesus would secure for them. So that leads us into the second great virtue of the king that's uncovered in our passage today. And that our king is bringing salvation. Our king is bringing salvation. Look at Matthew chapter 21 verses 8 through 11. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees, spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now it's really amazing, friends, what the people are shouting here. They're acknowledging, that Jesus, they're acknowledging Jesus as king. In fact, the account in the book of Luke tells us that Jesus weeps over the city. He actually weeps over Jerusalem because he knows that they have no idea what kind of king he truly is and what is about to happen to him. These friends, these friends, these people, they're so desperate to, for salvation that they're singing an old song from their book of hymns, the book of Psalms. They're, they're singing, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. This is where that song comes from. Psalm 118, 25 and 26. And in fact, Luke, in the account in Luke, it actually tells us that the Pharisees were so angered by this messianic imagery and by the fact that the people would equate this with that, that they actually tell Jesus to rebuke his followers. Rebuke them. They've misidentified you. Jesus doesn't do that. And let us remember and consider this. This, friends, is the Sunday before Passover. And Jesus was coming as the sinless Lamb of God and appearing on that very day that the people were to be choosing their spotless Passover lambs. Here he comes. On the very day they were to select their lambs for Passover, Jesus arrives for the beginning of Passion Week. And once again, a lamb's blood would be slain to save and to cover the sins of the people. Once again, God would be faithful to his promises. Only this time, friends, it had come full circle. God would sacrifice his only son to save the people from their sins. The lamb had to be slain. Jesus had to suffer. Salvation would not and could not be secured without the blood of an innocent lamb being poured out. If you have your Bibles, keep your finger right here in this passage, but turn over to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2 
in the New Testament, towards the end, if you find James, it's right before there. Hebrews chapter 2. This is such a beautiful passage. I think we need to read the whole thing because it's, it's, it's glorious. Verses 2 to 18. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This is what Jesus was bringing, offering the kingdom to the people. An opportunity for salvation. It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard why God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little, a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. He's in control. And at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him for a little while, while he was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he may taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now watch verse 11. For he who sanctifies Jesus, and for those who are sanctified, church, all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This was the Messiah, Savior, King that was coming to the people. And, and isn't it amazing that at the beginning, he's coming down this road and they're singing Hosanna, Hosanna, and they're waving palm branches. And as the week progresses and plays out, their chants go from Hosanna, Hosanna to crucify, crucify. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king 
but Caesar. What a slap in the face to Jesus. We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. The king who had come to save was mocked. And it goes, Hosanna, Hosanna, crucify, crucify, to the very last day when he's hanging on the cross. And what do we see in the book of Luke? As he hangs on the cross, the people stand by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself. Save us. In one week, friends, what a diversity of chance that our Lord the king of all creation, heard. And you know, it's, it's unfortunate. The Israelites, they never learned from their past. In the Old Testament, they desired an earthly king when they actually had the one true king before them. They wanted an earthly king to represent them. And in the New Testament, the true king came, he dwelt among them, and they wanted him dead. He wasn't good enough for them. Never satisfied. Never satisfied. Friends, there's a warning here for us, church. We we have to be careful to not make Jesus who we want Him to be, but to serve Him as He is. King of kings. And perhaps sometimes in our life, Jesus isn't always the king that we want Him to be. However, He is always the King that we need Him to be. He is mighty to save. What He says He will do, He does. Because that's who He is. It's pretty amazing in the text to witness how excited everyone is. It says Jerusalem was shaken. The entire city was entranced. The King was coming into His temple And the king was worthy of praise. And this brings us to the final virtue that's revealed regarding our king. And that is our king is worthy to be praised. Look down again at Matthew chapter 21. Look at verses 12 and 13. Jesus was entering the temple, driving out those who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. The king was coming into his temple, and his temple was a mess. It was a mess. And friends, a very real life application for us, you can't honor a king when you've made a mess of his temple it doesn't work and what were they doing well here's an example if you have a dollar bill imagine if i said to you today hey i will exchange your dollar bill for calvary monument currency all right let's say we had our own currency and so each of you could come up and you could give me a dollar bill and i would exchange it for calvary monument currency now when you give me your dollar bill I give you back 
three pennies. Three pennies. That, that's not a, a good, a fair deal, right? That doesn't sound good to anybody. But essentially, that's what was happening. The money changers, they were in the temple and they were exchanging currency. People were coming to make sacrifices. Their money was coming from different places. And they'd take their money and they'd give them back just peons. A little bit. As opposed to what they were given. And if you wanted a loan, if you wanted to go to the temple and take out a loan, you were able to do that. Let's say you wanted $5,000 for one year. That $5,000 over one year would be given, but it would be given at 300% interest. 300%. So if you do the math on that, it would require $15,000 to be returned to the temple for a $5,000 loan. The money changers profited greatly from the exchange rates that they charged worshipers for shekels. To pay the priest. And then the priest would convert it back into Roman money. They were cashing in from both ends. They had their hands in both baskets. They profited absorbently from loans that they made. With interest rates up to 300%. And while as we sit here today in a capitalistic society. We might say that there's nothing wrong with capitalism. And useful convenient banking services. These particular bankers, friends, were greedy profiteers who cared nothing for the worshipers and cared nothing about God's temple, but they were using it as a means to get rich. The temple had deteriorated into a house of commerce instead of a house of worship. And the very task that the high priests were charged to perform had been neglected. It needed to be cleansed as a place for worship and prayer because it had been manipulated and corrupted for their own financial gain. How disgusting and how terrible these priests were acting, religious leaders. There's something deeper going on here, though, friends, in, in this activity of Jesus cleansing the temple. Jesus is systematically establishing himself as the new center of worship. No longer would the people need to come to the temple and be taken advantage of. The veil was torn. Jesus was the new center, the new temple, the new person whom all could freely come to and worship. The money changers were no longer going to be able to take advantage of or abuse the people. And church, there's two cautions for us in in this text. Right here, I think, we need to pause and and explain, share together. First, the church is not a building to be corrupted. When we say the church is not a building, it's absolutely the truth. Friends, we are the church. We are the church. And we worship the one true living God together. It's not a building That should be corrupted. But also, friends, I believe there's a caution here. It's also not a business to be profited from. What motivates us? What motivates us? It's important that we're united in purpose. Motivated to grow in a greater love for God. And a greater love for each other. Friends, that's what we are to be doing. And isn't it amazing what happens next? Jesus is set himself up as the new center of worship. The doors of the temple are now open for all to come to him. 
The children come, the blind come, the lame come, those who had been ostracized and sent away, they come. The people who had been abused, the people who had been taken advantage of and overlooked, they're all coming. The city of Jerusalem shaken, money tables being flipped over, debris was strewn everywhere. People who were abusing folks by exchanging money were being chased out of the temple. It was a virtual madhouse. And don't you love, in this scenario, what the children are doing? Isn't it beautiful? The children are running around and singing praises to Jesus. It's amazing. All of the religious leaders had been shaken to their core, probably deeply wounded and offended. And in the moment, it's the children who are running around and worshiping. Oh, we have so much to learn from our children, friends. Matthew chapter 21, 14 to 17. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Did you catch that line? You have prepared praise. Have we truly considered the implications of this? Friends, as we sit here as a congregation this morning, what this verse means for our very lives If we sit here today in a relationship with Jesus Christ, He has prepared for us to praise Him. He is our great and high priest. He has cleansed our temple. He has washed us clean. He has declared us innocent. His blood has made us clean. His death has broken our chains. He's raised us up and seated us in the heavenlies. And He's prepared in advance good works for us to accomplish. How encouraging body of Christ is this for us today I'd like to invite our team to come forward as we conclude our text this morning the reality for us today is that our king is in control he is sovereignly reigning over the affairs of his people he is giving authority he is taking authority away he is controlling circumstances in our lives and working all things together for good, for those He has called according to His purposes. Perhaps this morning, maybe you sit, sit and, and maybe you think, wow, I've lost sight of this reality that the King's in control of my life. Maybe your circumstances have gotten in the way of your relationship with the King this morning. And there's an opportunity for you now as we go into this final song which would focus our minds and the hearts to refocus your gaze on Him, to press in, rely on His control over every circumstance in your life, allow Him to work, to move, to fulfill His perfect purpose for you. Or maybe you sit here today and you think, man, I need to meet this King. Maybe you've never met this King before. Friends, I would tell you, He is available to, for you to meet Him. He is available today. Today. John 6 tells us we simply must believe He is available to you. Our King is to be praised. As we close our service together, let us behold Him and let us praise Him together. You know, it occurs to me that 
how humble Jesus was in that moment. He owned the city and everyone in it and everything that was connected to it. He owned it. He ruled it. And he still entered it knowing what was going to befall him by the end of the week. Lord, would you help us to be thankful of this reality? Would you prepare our hearts and prepare our minds as we begin this week of reflection and celebration over the power that you have shown over sin and death. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.